you know, make my, my mark on the planet through, through athletics. And, and uh, so that didn't quite work out. I, I, I want to I tell you a little bit about my, my story before we get into uh, the message in, in Matthew chapter 25. But I grew up in the Midwest, and I uh, grew up in a, in a religious home where I knew about God. I just didn't know God personally. So I went to church every once in a while, but God was this big judge in the sky, sort of watching everything I was doing wrong. And because I was doing a lot of things wrong, I didn't really want to hang out with God. So I said, God, you just kind of do your thing. I'm going to go do my thing. And I just went on and played sports and athletics and, and uh, hockey. And I got drafted out of high school to play junior hockey. And while I was playing uh, ice hockey in the Midwest, I uh, injured my knee. And, and, I, and I had this moment, and I thought to myself, maybe there's more to life than what I'm living for. Now, now, maybe yours wasn't hockey, but there, you had a thing that you were living for, and at some point in your journey, you, you had this question, maybe there's more to life than what I'm living for. So I was rehabbing my knee at a physical therapist office, and I came across this uh, newspaper. as a Let's Play Hockey newspaper. In the bottom right-hand corner, it said, Wanted, born-again Christian hockey players to play in Europe. And I said to myself, I don't know much about that born-again thing, but I sure would like to play hockey in Europe. And I applied, and they let me on the team. Because I knew enough about God to get through the little application. I just didn't know God personally. So I got on this team, and I started hearing the truth about who God is. We had these little Bible studies in the morning about His grace and His love and His forgiveness. And I was totally dialed in. Because I hadn't heard that before. I heard that you needed to be good in order to get God to like you. And because I wasn't really good, I didn't think God liked me. But I heard about His, his grace and His forgiveness. And as an 18-year-old, we were traveling throughout Europe and playing hockey, and I came to this moment at night, and this is just what happened. I was in, I was in communist Russia, actually. We went up through, and we were playing up in Russia, and, it was, and, and I couldn't sleep one night, and I was tossing and turning in my bed saying, there's no way that God can forgive me. I've just done too many things wrong. There's just no way. There's no way that God can forgive me. And a light came through the window, and it filled the whole room, got right in front of my face, and I heard the words, I forgive you. And that's how I met Jesus. It's through his forgiveness, through his new life. He took me all the way to Europe to, to hear those words, to experience his presence. And I came back and I told all my family and friends about his forgiveness and the new life we can have in Christ, about his love and his grace and his mercy. And, and my family went to counseling because I was so different. And they needed to go to counseling anyway because they were really dysfunctional. But, but I... I was so different, so changed by God's grace and love. I couldn't help but share that with others. And I did a sports ministry and a jail ministry and a youth ministry. I was just telling everybody about Jesus. I ended up going to a, a Christian college, and I took this class called The Life and Teachings of Jesus. And Dr. Chester Wood taught us about Jesus, and we read the Gospels, and then we read them again, and then we read them again. And then we saw the Gospels in light of the Old Testament. We saw these truths about who Jesus is. And I was already mesmerized by Jesus. I already experienced His grace and forgiveness. So then I started to hear His words and see His life and understand His teachings. And it was through His teachings I started to understand His heart for the world, for, for, for the entire world. And, and I was reading these scriptures. I saw God through Christ, you know, caring for the hurting and the hungry. He, he was feeding hungry people. He was healing the sick. He was caring for the least of these. And some of the scriptures that Dr. Wood brought us to were, were this one in Luke chapter 4 where, where Jesus stood up to read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. 
You may not be aware of this, but there are only two, 200 passages in the, in the Bible about God's heart for the poor. And he, he handed, he, uh, that was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found a place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on, is on me, because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind. He set to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant. He sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him because the Messiah had come to bring good news to the poor. Not, not just to bring forgiveness to a person like me, but to bring good news to the hurting and the hungry. That was Jesus' mission. Declared in Isaiah, but announced in Luke, and, he, and, and the scriptures continued. Jesus was talking to that rich young ruler. Remember the guy that said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to have a life that really matters, that's significant? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell, all, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Sell the stuff that you're living for. Sell the stuff that gives you significance and value. Give all that stuff to, to the poor. My heart is for the least of these. Give that to the poor. And then you're going to have a treasure in heaven. And come follow me. And you'll have a life that's truly life. And I'm reading these scriptures as I'm studying in school, and, I'm, and God is shaping my heart. I see Jesus' mission. I hear his interactions with, with um, the rich young ruler. But one of the kickers for me was what he said to John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus? And he, he's in prison at this moment. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die. And he's wondering if Jesus is really the Messiah. And then this is what he says, Jesus replied, that the, some of the disciples of, of John the Baptist came and said, hey, are you the one? And Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble of count of me. And as I was reading this and understanding Jesus' life and his teachings, I understood that God has this heart for the poor. Jesus came to bring healing to the hurting and the hungry. And then it became super clear to me in Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to get more into this passage in a minute. But in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said these words, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me, and I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. See, Jesus identifies so closely with the hurting and the hungry that to minister to them is to minister to him. To love those he loves is to love him. And so I took this class in, in college, and I was hearing about the life and teachings of Jesus. And about that time, I had an opportunity to go to a baseball game. Any, any baseball fans? Any Dodger fans? Nice. Angel fans? Angel fans? No, no angel? Okay. There's one. There he is. Get him. It's right there. Any Cubby fans? Any Cub fans? There they are. They're the true fans. So I, okay, thank you. Thank you. So, so I was living in Minneapolis at the time, and my pastor invited me to go to a Cubs game. 
And I'd never been to Wrigley Field, and it's kind of the mecca, you know, if you're, if you're, a, ball, you know, if you're a baseball fan, you kind of you want to go see that park, and I had a chance to go to Wrigley Field, and I, and I went into the game, and I saw these awesome athletes, and I sort of embraced the moment, and uh, after the game, I said goodbye to my pastor, my grandmother was living on the south side, I was going to get on a bus to go visit my grandmother, but I'm walking down Clark Street right outside Wrigley Field in Wrigleyville with thousands of other fans, right? And we're just this massive humanity walking down the street, and I see a homeless man sitting in, in a stairwell, and he's shaking a cup, and he's saying, 16 cents, 16 cents, all I need is 16 cents. And like thousands of other people, I just, I just walked right past him, and, and then it kind of dawned on me, I said, 16 cents, why does it need 16 cents? And so I walked back to him, and I asked him, I said, hey, why do you need 16 cents? And he looked up at me and he says, for liquor, what else? <laughs> and I look at him and I say, hey, I can't support your drinking habits, but if you're hungry, I'll get you something to eat. And he looked at me and then he looked back in the stairwell and he says, come on, guys, this kid's buying. <laughs> and out of the stairwell emerged three other homeless guys. And I, there I was, you know, I had $20 to my name. I was a college student. I was just studying the life of Jesus, Jesus, caring for the needs of the poor. I said, okay, let's go get something to eat. And so we walk down the street, we see a pizza spot, we go into the pizza place, and we order our pizza, and we sit down, and I got to hear their stories. You know, one guy, um, he went to college near where I was going to school, so we talked a little bit about the area, and we connected that way. Uh, one guy actually worked in a mission, but alcohol got the best of him, and he ended up on the streets. Another guy was a ventriloquist. wasn't really that good, so I could kind of see why that didn't work out for him. But, but, the, but the, the fourth guy, he was, kind of, he was kind of big, and he had this, this wound. I don't know what it was, but he was, he was kind of poking fun at me. So you're just some punk kid, you know, just some college kid. You're just doing this Christian thing. And the other guys were like, hey, man, give the kid a break. He's giving us free pizza. And, and we, we continue to eat our meal. And, and at the end of our meal, I go up to pay. Those guys go outside. And then this big guy that was kind of mean and, and sort of, you know, poking fun at me comes over to me and towers over me. And he looks down at me and he says, all right, you little effer although he really swore, and he says, all right, Jalefer, your joke's over. Give me all your money. And at that moment, the thought came to my mind, I'm going to die. Right? This is it. It's over. But I just took intro to psychology, and I looked back to him, and I says, the thought that came to my mind was reverse psychology. And this is what I said. I said, no way, man. Give me your money. And that's what he did. He put his arm around me and he started laughing. And he said, this kid's all right. And he showed me around the city. And he introduced me to his friends and how he washed windows to make money. And we connected as human beings. I wasn't just some punk college kid. He wasn't some homeless guy. We were fellow travelers on the journey. And, and after we hung out for a while, I got on the bus to go visit my grandmother, and he looked at me in the eyes, and, and he said, God bless you. And I got on the bus, and I'm traveling back to my grandmother, and I hear the Holy Spirit speak to me, and this is what he said. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was the bum outside Wrigley Field, 
and you got me some pizza. There's just moments in our lives when we know that God's speaking to us. When we know, we just know that, that, that God is speaking to us about His desires in our lives, His desires for His world. And that was one of those moments in my journey. And, and you've had those moments where maybe God has spoken to you about His forgiveness or His grace or maybe a challenge that you walked through or maybe when you went into your room and you closed the door and you had a connection with God. There's these moments where God speaks to us and God, God spoke to me in the moment as I was soaking myself in the Scriptures. And this is what I learned. That if we want to get closer to Jesus, we must get closer to the poor because that's where Jesus is. Jesus resides, Jesus lives in, Jesus lives among, Jesus cares about the hurting and the hungry. And we can go into our room and close the door. We talked about that last month where we have intimacy with God behind closed doors. And we can gather at a worship service and we can lift our voices and praise God and we can connect with God in corporate worship. But if we want to get closer to Jesus, we must get closer to the poor. Because that's where Jesus is. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said these words. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. It's in those moments among the hurting and the hungry where we connect with God in a new and deep and fresh way. So today we're going to look at this passage in Matthew chapter 25. And, and it's, a, it's a familiar passage. And we've read a little bit about it already. But in order to engage in this teaching, I would love for you to stand as we read this passage together. So let's stand and read this passage of Scripture and ask God to speak to us this morning. So maybe even today we can have a moment with God as we read His Word. Hopefully you can read that. It looks pretty. Uh, but here it is. Let's read it together. When the Son of Man comes in His glory... And all the angels with him, he will sit at his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and close you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, Whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. 
For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Please have a seat. These are strong words from Jesus. I mean, Jesus doesn't pull any punches. Jesus talks straight. And Jesus is talking to his disciples about the end times. For those of you familiar with the scriptures, you know that the disciples were interested about when Jesus would come back, when he would return, when he would take all that is wrong with the world and make it right. And so the disciples in the previous chapter, in chapter 24, saying, Jesus, when are you going to come back? When are you going to make all things right? When, when is the world going to be made whole? When are, the, when are the Romans that have been oppressing us going to be given? When are we going to receive? When are they going to receive justice? And so they're asking when. They're asking what time, what place. And, and sometimes we can get excited about those things. Sometimes people in our day will get excited about knowing when or the times. Or and I don't necessarily do that, but I do like to know what the end is like. You know, like that covey begin with the end in mind. So, so that's the truth here. Let us begin our journey with the end in mind. And so Jesus says, hey, don't worry about the place. Don't worry about the time. Don't ask when. Don't ask where. Ask who. Who will be there? Who will enter into the kingdom of God that was prepared in advance? Who will be present? Who will receive my inheritance? And I'll notice... Jesus describes himself as the Son of Man. When the Son of Man comes, this is the end times. This is the moment where, where Jesus makes the world right. And, and he doesn't, when he describes himself in this moment, he doesn't use language like the suffering servant or a teacher. He says, when the king, when the king comes, when, when the king comes with all his angels and his glory, he's going to come in judgment. So prepare yourself. Don't worry about the time or the place. Worry about if you will be present in the new kingdom that is coming. Notice Jesus did not identify with the suffering servant. He says, I'm the king. And these are the type of people that, that will be received or enter into my kingdom. And this is what he does. He describes the sheep from the goats. He says, at the end, when I come back, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little separation between the sheep and the goats. He says, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now, we don't enter into this metaphor as easily as the first century readers or hearers. But it was commonplace for a shepherd to come at the end of the day. And at the end of the day, after a long day of grazing and a long day of eating, the, the sheep would go in the open fields and the goats would go into the pen. 
And the early original readers would have easily understood that this is a time of separation. Kind of like the kids, they're going to leave and go for their own teaching, but the adults are going to stay here, and we're going to have a little, there's, there's a separation, so that's what's happening. There's a separation between the goats and the sheep, but some commentaries, commentators comment that the goats sometimes try to be like the sheep. That sometimes at the end of the day when there's this separation between the goats and the sheep, that some goats will want to be with the sheep, will want to graze a little bit longer, will sort of be around the sheep and try to look like a sheep, but they're not a sheep. And it's almost as if Jesus is giving us a warning. Jesus is saying at the end of the day, when I come back as king, I will separate all people. And some will have the appearance of a sheep. They'll look like, they'll be around the sheep, but they're not sheep, they're goats. And they will not enter into my kingdom. And did you notice what character quality separates a sheep from a goat? Both are with the shepherd. Both heard his voice. Both ate his food. Both followed his call. But there was one distinct difference between the sheep and the goat. Did you see it? It's the doing. Jesus said these words. Verse 40, then the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And then it will say, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then you'll go and pay eternal punishment. And the righteous, those that did what Jesus said into eternal life. It's the doing that makes the difference. It's not the hearing. It's not the following. It's not the eating. It's not the proximity to the shepherd. In the end, there's only one distinction between those that enter into God's presence for all eternity and those that do not. It's the doing that makes the difference. It's not the hearing. It's not the proximity. It's not the showing up. It's not the listening. It's not the thinking about. It's the, it's the doing that makes the difference. And this is not a works-based theology. This is not Jesus saying, hey, as long as you do the right things and try to make your way into God's good graces, then at the end, you'll be a good person and God will let you in. This is a repeated theme in the life and teachings of Jesus. Just think of the Sermon on the Mount, you know, the, the, the greatest sermon. At the beginning and at the end, Jesus makes this warning. It's the doing that makes the difference. He says, you are a light of the world. Let your light shine among men so that they may see your good deeds, your good works, your good ergon, your good energy, it's, it's, it's your good actions. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, there was this metaphor that Jesus used. There's some that will build their house on the rock and some that will build their house on the sand. And the difference between the two was putting into practice. Both heard, both showed up, but one put it into practice. One did what Jesus said. And it's the doing, not the listening, not the showing up, not the pretending to be around. It's the doing that makes a difference. And James, Jesus' brother, said it so well. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? 
Suppose a dear brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. It's not the listening. It's not the talking. It's not the thinking about. It's the doing that makes the difference. Repeat after me. It's the doing. Let's try that again. It's the doing that makes the difference. That's the difference between a sheep and a goat. That's what Jesus is trying to warn us. He says, just don't listen. Don't just think about it. Don't just talk about it. You have to put into practice my words. It's the doing that makes the difference. So I served as a covenant pastor for a number of years. I've served as a pastor now for over 16 years. And, and as a pastor, I, I love being able to share God's Word and help people grow in their relationship with Jesus. And I did a little series back in my previous church called Do Something. And, and the Do Something series just reminded us that there's 1.4 billion people that live on less than $1.25 a day. So let's do something. Let's, let's pray, fast, think, give, and end extreme poverty. And by the way, thank you for the good work that you've already done. Now, somebody raise your hand if you've already ran a marathon with Team Real Vision. I mean, there, there's, there, let's give it up for those guys. I mean, that, that is fantastic. Thank you for what you've already done, but we know our work is not done yet. You know, we, we've made progress in the Congo. We've made progress with Covenant Kids Congo, empowered by World Vision. You know, our, our work in the Congo as a covenant nomination, we've made progress. 41,000 kids now have access to clean water. That's amazing. Amazing, 41,000. And, and then I read this, 65%, the, the child mortality rate has decreased by 65% because of the work of Covenant Kids Congo and the work that the, the, the nomination is doing at large and the work that, that some of you have done. And so I had a chance to go to Congo and see the, the visit the children and see the work and be part of what God was doing in that part of the world. I was an early adopter. I, I think this was... I don't even remember when it was. It was, a, it was a while back. I was nice and handsome back in the day, right? My glasses on and, and, and my little bag. And then, so I'm with these kids, and I have a, this wonderful time. And I, I got to see some of the beauty of Africa. We did a little trip, and we saw the, the, you know, the rhinos running by, and then the giraffes running by, and then we saw these little cute monkeys in the Congo. And then I had a chance to eat one of those little monkeys right there. So <laughs> tastes like chicken, in case you were wondering. So the... The, it was amazing, though, to be able to be in that part of the world and, and see these kids, right? These beautiful children. And this was the toy that they made, a little galimoto, made out of just, just stuff that they could find. And, and these kids, you know, were walking to get water that's not even clean. And, and they, they had this little, there's this little girl there with, you know, her belly's a little bit, you know, extended because she's not getting enough food. And, and so I get a chance to be in, into the home of a family, and I have a, have a child on my lap, and I get to hear her story. I mean, she, she, she's just three, right? She doesn't have any. And, and the third grade education is the highest her mother was going to be able to do. Uh, and, and she uh, was living in just extreme poverty. And she, too, her, her belly was a little uh, distended. And, and I got to go to the hospital and see some of the kids that were, were, were not going to make it. And I came back to my congregation, and, and I said, this is, this is the story. This is the story of a man, his name's Matthew, who's doing something. 
He's part of our, our World Vision team, and he has a little clinic. And this is his clinic, and it may look like it's dilapidated, but Matthew works there with great pride. And he cares for the children, and he delivers babies, and he's making a difference because of our partnership with him in the Congo. And I came back to my team, and I said, hey, let's do something. Because we all know it's the doing that makes the difference. Not just in that part of the world, but in our own hearts. God transforms us as we obey his word. So let's do something. Let's just not talk about it. Let's actually put feet to our faith and put words into action and make a difference in the world. And then I said this, let's give up something good to participate in something great. And I invited them to fast. To give up something that they really like. Maybe it's a vacation or maybe it was a, 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 a soft drink or a, or a coffee. Let's give up something good that we really like and put that money into something better, the end of poverty. And I didn't do it for a week or a month. I invited the church to do it for nine months. Now, I was a new pastor. And I, and I wouldn't quite recommend that today. But it was amazing how people responded. And, and one of them, uh, some of them gave up vacations. They gave up remodeling their homes. And they put them on a little card. And then they, they gave that up. And then another one uh, gave up chewing gum. And uh, one gave up soft drinks. And he gave... He, for his whole life, drank Coke. Like his senior class picture is, is him with a can of Coke. And, and, and he even went to college just consuming Cokes and Mellow Yellow and Mountain Dew. He went to the nurse's office and his, his hands were shaking. doesn't understand why he's shaking. And it was because of the caffeine intake. And the nurse asked him, how many you know, soft drinks are you drinking? He says, well, about a case and a half a week. And so he decided, I'm going to give all that up. Because he had a bigger vision. A bigger reason to live. He says, I'm going to give all that stuff that's not good for me anyway and put that money to do something to make a difference. One other person said, uh, instead of driving to work, I'm going to ride my bike to work. And so he used all the money that he would have used on gasoline to bike to work. And one day he, was, he rode his bike to work and he was a, a mail carrier and he got into his truck and he was doing his route. And as he was doing his route, he shut the door of the, of the truck and it hit his finger. His finger was wounded. And he thought to himself, you know, I'm just going to you know, drive the truck back to the station, get in my car, and go to the hospital. And then the thought came, but I rode my bike to work. And then God spoke to him. And that's how millions of my children feel who don't have access to health care. And God transformed him. God spoke to him because that's what happens. When you put yourself in a position, when you sacrifice something good for something great, when you come close to the poor, God tends to speak to you more clearly. It's not that he wasn't speaking before, but you are more attentive to his voice as you get closer to the poor. If you want to get closer to Jesus, then we must get closer to the poor. If we want to have this connection, this deep, thriving connection with the living God, we must position our hearts and our minds and our finances closer to the hurting and the hungry because that's where He, that's where he is. That's what He said. It's the doing that makes the difference, not the talking, not, not the singing, not the laughing or the reading. It's it's the doing. So you're going to have an opportunity to do something. It's the Matthew 25 challenge. In fact, it's much better than the challenge that I gave my church because it's only one week. It's only one week, and it's for the whole family. 
It's for you and your children or your grandchildren. It's an opportunity for you to get closer to the poor and therefore closer to Jesus. And as you sacrifice some things this week, you'll be able to hear his voice and experience his presence in a way maybe you've never experienced before. And it's, it's kind of a hard challenge. It's, it's easy to, to do. I mean, it's just a daily challenge. Everyone throughout the week, the congregants who opt in will receive a text message or an email, and you'll get the challenge and a story, and then you'll get some prayers and some reflection questions. It's really easy to get started, right? You just text this number, it's in your program, and then you put in M25, and all of a sudden you're in. And you're in this opportunity to experience God's voice in a fresh new way. It's easy to enter, but it's hard to do. I did the Matthew 25 challenge, and, and, and right around day two, I wrote in my journal, I don't like the Matthew 25 challenge. I don't like going without food. I don't like, I don't like being irritated or irritable because I'm not eating as much. And, and, I even, I, I, and then I wrote down, you know, I can't imagine living like this every day. And it's not that I, I didn't like it, but I did. I didn't like it, but I did like what it did inside of me. I saw some demandingness in my heart. I became more grateful and less demanding as a result of sacrificing something just for a week so I could connect with God and hear His voice. And that's your opportunity. That's your opportunity. It's not easy. It's easy to text in. It's easy to get started, but it's, it's hard to do. But if you enter into this challenge for this next seven days, you will experience God's presence. You will be transformed. And isn't that what we want? Isn't that why we show up for church? Is to be able to experience God's presence and hear His voice? I mean, we want a, a, a more grateful and less demanding spirit. We want to connect with Jesus, and we can. I can answer that later, but uh, we can. And, and um, the way that we're going to do that the next few days is to take the Matthew 25 challenge. And so I'm going to ask whoever's phone that is to pick up that phone and then ask Jay and the band to come on up here, and we're going to close our service off. But, uh, yeah, come on up, and, and um, as, as we're closing off our time together, as you are thinking about, hey, I, I, I want to get closer to Jesus. I want to experience His presence. I want to have a more intimate connection with God. Don't do it just because I said it's a good idea. Don't, don't do it because everybody else is doing it. Do it because you... You want to. Do it because you want to be a sheep, not a goat. Do it because you want to experience God's presence and God's voice for yourself. And do it in response to all that God has done for you. Because Jesus left the glories and riches of heaven. He left perfect communion with the Spirit and the Father. And He came down to heaven and He lived in poverty. He became poor so that you might become rich. And in response to all that He has given to you, for one week, just sacrifice. Just give up something so that you can participate in hearing God's voice and putting His Word into practice. God, I thank You for Your Word and the clarity in it. 
I thank you for the journey that you've brought me on and that you're bringing each individual here today and this entire church on. It's a journey into the life and teachings of Jesus. It's a journey into not just hearing your word, but putting it into practice. It's a journey where we collectively and individually experience your presence. And so, Holy Spirit, right now, in this moment, speak to us. Speak to us about our obedience and lack thereof to care for those that are hurting and hungry. And do a work inside of us, not out of guilt or out of shame, but out of gratitude for all that you have done for us. And let us hear your voice and be transformed to live and act more like Jesus, I pray. In his name, amen. Let's stand and sing this last song together.